I was going to sort of introduce my, my topic by talking about what we'd uh, discussed over the previous weeks, because um, we've, we've been looking at the, the concept of how faith and the faith of our community can impact our health, um, particularly our mental health. And I know sort of the idea of mental health is a, a, a bit of a, a strange one to preach about, but the, the survey we did earlier in the year indicated that you know, our, our faith is not meeting and needs when it comes to our mental health. And we discussed a few of, things, a few of these things in previous weeks, and uh, I'm not going to discuss what those were. If you haven't heard them, then it's not going to mean anything to you. Uh, and you should go back and uh, listen to the podcasts uh, the last three weeks. And if you did hear them and you can't remember it, shame on you. Um, go and listen to the podcast of the last three weeks. Um, but the, the, the thing that we, we, we looked at uh, or the thing I want to look at this morning is this idea that how we read the Bible can not only impact our own mental health, but it can impact how we treat other people with mental health issues based on how we interpret Scripture and how we actually live out our Scripture. And I don't know about you, but the, I think the humbling thing that should dawn on us as we dig deeper into our Bibles is the revelation the ability to triumph over life's storms. And who's, who's had to work at triumphing over life's storms? The revelation that we should get is that the ability to do that is not always contained entirely within us as individuals. Especially, and, I, and I'm talking to the guys here, um, and this is guys probably of my age, and so young people in, in essence, that we, we, we have, I grew up in a culture where we could do it all. It was a, you know, an independent culture. I don't need your help. I can do this. I've got all the knowledge I need. I'm going to go and do it. And when we failed, we just lied about it. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, did that. Well, no problems. No, not a problem. No, what's that in the rubbish? No, no, don't worry about that. Nothing, nothing to do with me. And so we relied on ourselves and our own abilities. The problem is that if we read our Bibles correctly, we'll discover that it's not all just in us. It's in their community connections that the real strength lies. Because interestingly, is a little factoid for you. In 1979, was a fair while ago, the uh, famous epidemiologists Berkman and Syme, you've all heard of them? Yeah, yeah I thought so, yeah. Um, they published one of the most influential cited studies on social relationships and mortality. In other words, death. They surveyed a random sample of about 7,000 adults and followed them up 10 years later. And they looked at four sources of social contact, marriage, close friends and relatives, religion, and informal and formal groups and associations. It's easier to do, less hard on my thumb. And the guess what the findings showed? They showed that those who had more social and community ties at the beginning of the study were significantly less likely to die during the next 10 years than those with fewer social contacts. Now, the really interesting thing about that is that the link between social connectivity and death was independent of initial health status and health practices. And this included smoking, alcohol consumption, obesity, and physical activity which tells us that if we're going to exercise, we should exercise together. If we're going to consume alcohol, we should do it together. 
Um, so th this, th this, these sort of studies, and there'll be numerous studies to back this sort of thing up, that, that longevity and health are actually tightly coupled with the number of social relationships that we actually have in our lives. And although the, there's other factors that contribute to that, that is actually one of the strongest and most independent factors that we have. So our, our social connectivity uh, for our faith is also really important. And uh, I mean, I, I know this is not good news um, for followers of Jesus who would be content to just follow Jesus and not actually have to interact with his other followers. Because I know there are people out there like that. It's that whole thing that church is really great if it wasn't for all those people. Um, so there's got to be this change of thinking, I think, about how our faith-related social connections can be leveraged to provide us with the basis for healthy community connections, starting with how we interact with our Bibles. So the question I'm asking this morning is, how do we move away from this concept of easy answers and glib Bible verses and start engaging with all the Bible and not just verses that we like or make sense to us. I found this little uh, graphic on the uh, internet, which I thought really summarized exactly where often as Christians, we can end up with the idea of simple, powerful scriptural answers that are actually quite wrong and quite damaging, quite dangerous, rather than actually looking at complex but correct answers because we'd like to throw them in the too hard basket. So I want to ask you a question. How did you first start to interact with the Bible in the early days of your faith? And I think this is relevant no matter what your faith background is, whether you had a, a conversion moment or whether you, were, you grew up in a family which, which read the Bible and, and you were familiar with, with scriptures uh, or whether you know, you, your, your, your growth uh, in church sort of incorporated the, the, the Bible in some way in your life. I mean, I knew Bible stories. I knew the story of Noah and Daniel and the lion's den and, and things like that. But I can't say they really meant a lot to me. But when I, when I came to faith, and I, and I think this is probably the same with everyone, at some point, Scripture became a focus. And whether it was through my devotions or whether it was teaching or preaching, that you, you suddenly came to, into focus scriptures or a scripture. And so we started small. You came to church, you were given a Bible, you looked at it and thought, whoa, this thing is enormous. Where do I start? What do I, what do I make of it? And somebody up the front preached the scripture and you thought, whoa, okay, I can use that. And so we start small. Something resonated with you. It made sense seemed to fit your thinking or your experience or, or your feelings at the time. And then you found another one that impacted you. Perhaps somebody prophesied it over you. Then another and another. And soon you know a whole range of Bible verses that give you a sense of understanding of the power of your connection to God. And, you know, suddenly you're an expert. It's given you the impetus to to think, well, I could pray for someone. I could prophesy over someone. I, I know the Bible. I've got these, I can, I can say, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't you dare get in my way. Jesus and I are coming through. And so we get this, this confidence. And the greatest thing about this, this, this arcane and ancient knowledge that we've dredged up 
is that we suddenly become an expert that gives us easy answers for almost everything. I'll give you an example. James, who loves the book of James? No, not too many. I'm not surprised. James 5.13 says, Are any of you suffering hardships? And then it says, well, you should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. So we've got answers here, right? Verse 14, are any of you sick? I mean, Carmen talked about Lucy was sick. And we discover in James, Carmen has done the wrong thing. It says, you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing with you with oil in the name of the Lord. I did not get a phone call. Good grief. And then we go on verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Are we all healed? No, you haven't been praying for each other. You're confessing your sins. It says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now, don't get me wrong. The instructions in these scriptures are right. But they're addressing a specific aspect of faith. What is it? Prayer. Well, well done. <laughs> now, was Jesus into prayer? Most definitely. Was Jesus only into prayer? Definitely not. I mean, are any of you suffering hardships? Does it say in James, how can I help you with that? No, but would that be a Christ-like response? Yes. Are any of you sick? Does it say, can I come round and bring you some soup? No. But would that be a Christ-like response? Yeah. So what we get here is a picture, but it's not a complete picture. We can also bring blame into the equation when we do it. Are any of you suffering hardships? Well, if your life is hard, you're obviously not praying enough. Because if you were praying, you wouldn't be going through hardship. Are you sick? That's the trouble. You didn't get the elders round <laughs> to put on the anointing oil. And, and because we've, you know, we've taken these scriptures to heart, we can, we can be really harsh with people. If you're not better, you haven't asked the right people to pray for you. Perhaps the anointing oil was rancid. You didn't use the right one. After all, if the prayers of a righteous person have great power and have wonderful results, what does that make you? You are not a righteous person. Oh, you, can I get you up? You all need to come down here on this altar on your knees. And so you know, this knowledge of Scripture, this, this power that we get from knowing, knowing Scriptures can be really, really damaging, especially to somebody who is suffering from mental health issues. It's a bit like that video. It's, it's, the, it's the, that I showed last week. You're going to have to watch the uh, podcast to see. It's, it's, it's the equivalent of going up to somebody and saying, you're not well, stop it. You're sinning, stop it. You're having struggles, stop it. So just stop struggling. You know, just have, be happy. It, do, it, it doesn't work. It's not in the Bible either. You, and the, 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 the funniest thing is when you, you get attached to scriptures that don't actually mean what you think they mean. I mean, Vicky and I did this. We had a favorite scripture when we first got saved out of the New King James version, Matthew eleven twelve, And it says, and I, I, used to love, I used to get violent about that. Like, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force 
And I thought this was a great scripture because I thought what it meant was that people of faith gather up their faith. They get warlike and they attack heaven to appropriate the blessings that God has for them because he doesn't want to give it freely. You've got you to get angry and attack him. Now, I was a very young Christian, all right? We were both were. But it, it, was, it, it was a scripture that fired me up. It's like, yeah, we've got to, we've got to be violently faithful people and, and come to God and not be wishy-washy, wussy Christians and just take what, take what we deserve. God has it for us. We're there to storm heaven and take it. Until one day I read the NLT version, which says, and from the time of John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. I thought, oh, well, that's not what I thought it meant. So what it's saying is that heaven's still advancing, but it's advancing against opposition because bad people are attacking heaven, and I was one of them. <laughs> and so in our youthful experience, a youthful inexperience or excitement, we just wanted some biffo with God to get him to release a blessing. Yeah, that's biblical. Jacob, Jacob wrestled with an angel in Genesis 29. We thought that was, that was how you got God working. You, just, you had to wrestle. Um, and, and we discovered that, you know, our, our faith in Scripture was totally bogus. And so how do we ditch the easy answers? How do we start embracing all of the Bible, not just the bits we like? Well, you'll be glad to know that the first step is not to read the Bible from cover to cover. But it is actually making ourselves aware of what the Bible as a whole is telling us. I've got 30 minutes. My message to you this morning is actually very simple. I just had a fairly long build-up. Rather than a piecemeal approach where we try to understand the whole by stitching together fragments of scriptures that we read that are fed to us by teachers or preachers, what would happen if we looked at our favorite scriptures through the lens of the whole Bible? It's a bit like you've heard that story about the three blind men who find an elephant and they work out. One says, oh, we found a snake as he touches he finds the trunk. The other one says, oh, we found this leathery pot because he's, he's got the leg. And the other one's this this hairy balloon that grumbles because he's stuck his ear up to the elephant's stomach. And they've both found a piece of the element, but they can't see elephant, sorry, not element, but they can't see the big picture because they can only see that, well, they can't see, they can only experience that part of the elephant that they happen to come into contact with. And we've got, actually got to avoid that with the Bible because it gives people the wrong idea. Some people think they've found the snake. And you can get metaphorical as you like with that one. But we, we actually need to, to see the whole elephant. We don't have to understand the whole elephant. We, have, we need an overview. We don't have to sort of look at it and think, whoa, that's complex. I don't understand that. The elephant is one thing. It's an animal. The Bible is one thing. It's a message. In that message are lots of complicated things. But if we can work out what the message is, then we interpret our scriptures differently. And I know even as little as 10 years ago, for the average, I'll put that in inverted commas, Christian, it would have been impossible to do that because the information 
was just not there to be found. To gain that sort of theological overview, you had to go to Bible college. And when you went to Bible college, you had to buy really heavy and expensive books that were intimidating to open, never mind read. And so it became this, this sort of esoteric knowledge that a few people had. And most of the people who were of the sort of mind to go and study the knowledge were not of the sort of people that you'd want to have preaching to you in church, at least not for more than five minutes uh, or you'd fall asleep. No, okay, safe. But today we have access to some incredible just resources on the internet. Now, we also have access to some pretty rubbish ones. So we've still got to do our due diligence. But we can use those resources to change our perspective on how we find answers in the Bible. For instance, this one is a good start. It's not the only thing out there. It's one of the, the better things out there. Is, is this one here. The Bible is one story that leads to Jesus. If you imagine if you read Scripture starting with that one premise. Now, I know that, you know, we get upset. We divide the, the Bible into the Old Testament and New Testament. And the Old Testament is different from the New How can you say it's one story? I mean, there's 66 books in it. Some of those are poetry. Some of those are narrative. Some of those are, are historical. Some of them, and it might sound heretical, some of them are comedy. There is humor in the Bible. Because guess what? The pe even back then, people knew that you could get people's attention by making them laugh far easier than making them cry. Oh, something's making noises. So what would happen then if we relook not only at all the scriptures that we've learned, but also the, con the, the concepts and doctrinal be beliefs that we've come to cherish through the lens of how does this verse... How does this chapter, how does this story lead me to Jesus? I can tell you one thing. It wouldn't lead to too many easy answers. It would actually involve some pretty robust discussion. It might lead us to fresh insights into how we pray, into how we worship, into how we break bread together. Or perhaps is how we let Jesus be more visible in us as we preach the gospel. Is this an easy change to make? No. Is it necessary? I think it is. I think we owe it to ourselves and to the community around us to change our approach to how we help one another. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded, I read stories when I was younger, I remember, who remembers the story of uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder, Little House on the Prairie, I think it was. And I, I can remember reading a particular scene in there um, where the, the women would sit around in a circle knitting and they would have pleasant conversation with each other, uh, basically bitching at each other, if I can use that term, by using scriptures. You know, one would say, oh, well, I, was, I was a bit late this morning because I had to go and collect the eggs from the chooks. And one of them would say, well, you know, dear, a stitch in time saves nine. Uh, and the other one would say, yes, but don't forget, you don't muzzle the oxen while he's treading the grain. And they would snipe at each other using scriptures just to, just to show that they knew the Bible better than the next person. And 
you know, mental health wasn't even the thing in those days. But can you imagine this whole idea, this tension that would exist when you, you came to connect with other people and there was going to be a battle coming because this idea that we could use the Bible to assert our own superiority over people was rife in those times. And, and if you looked at some of the scriptures these people were using, they were, they were using them totally out of context. And I think we can do the same thing. But we are today a lot more aware of not only our own mental health struggles, but the, the struggles of other people. And to be effective as a community in, to help, in helping those people, I think we need to have a radical change of how we think and apply the Bible, not only to our own lives, but to other people's lives as well. This is a really tricky thing. George, can I get you just to come up? I don't think that we can, it's, it's not an overnight thing. I, I'd love to get you all to stand and just pray over you and suddenly this, there'll be this revelation. Let's go and do something new with, with uh, our knowledge of Scripture. Let, let, let's let the mind of Christ change us in an instant so that we can be different in how we approach things. It actually takes time. It takes effort. You know, the, the, the resources that we need to see, there's, there's apparently a pretty good podcast out there, The, the Odd Father, I think it's called. That, that might be worth a look. Um, you know, the Bible Project is worth a look. You've got to be pretty serious to look into some of those, but they're video series. If you're a visual person, because uh, visual people struggle to actually read the Bible, but to see it explained in a video can actually help some people. Never use it as a substitute for reading the Bible, by the way, even if you are a visual person. But it requires a shift in how we think. And, it, and the biggest shift, I think, is this whole idea that we absorb the Bible as an individual and use that to interact with other people. I believe that in Jesus' time, particularly, if you read the book of Acts, they read the Bible as a group and they discussed its meaning and, and, and its import for them as a group. They came to a group understanding of what the Bible was telling them to do. Now, does that mean they all agreed all the time? No. Does that mean that there weren't arguments about what it might mean? No. And I know most of us don't want that. You know, we, 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 we have a, a dinner party. We want it to run smoothly. We don't want people arguing. But sometimes we, we, we need to learn the art of arguing without violence. The art of arguing without the heat that I've got to be right and you're wrong. Aren't you, Barry? Never, see? <laughs> and th this is the problem. We, ha we, we, we sit on two opposite sides of the fence and we fire shots. We actually ought to be sitting on the fence and sharing a beer, I mean, a, a cordial. And so it's a, it's a path that we've got to go on. But if we really care for other people, if we're really going to care about the mental state of the people in our community, if we really actually want to be a contributing to health instead of taking it away, who was it who said it? Yeah, Nathan said, yeah. Jesus was a person who walked into a room and dead people came to life. We've got to avoid being the sort of people who walk into a room and people just keel over dead because we're there or at least fall asleep. And so there's a change that's got to happen. But we've got to start it with a resolution. 
We've got to be the sort of people who say, yeah, I'm going to give that a go. So I want us to stand right now. Dinner parties are this week. I want you to commit to go to a dinner party and argue. Nicely. With someone. I think, and this is, as, as, a, as a pastor, I find this really difficult to do, to go into a conversation and not give people the answers. It's in my, it's in my bones. And pastor, what's the answer to this? Oh, well, okay, let me tell you. But we actually need to have an open enough mind to say, well, that's not how I see it, but yeah, you've got a point. Well, perhaps we should discuss that with uh, Loretta because she'll have a, a different point of view. And we can come to an understanding that Scripture can mean different things to different people. And we're not necessarily all right or all wrong. But it takes courage. It takes guts to do that sort of thing. To go home and think, well, perhaps I'm not right. Does that make me less of a person? I go home and discover I'm wrong all the time. Just one of the things about being married. <laughs> I don't think Vicky would have an argument with that at all. Well, except that she'd say I was wrong about it. But. So before I finish this morning, let me just do one more thing. If we got to change our attitudes on how we read the Bible. First of all, we've got to change our attitude and how we see Jesus. If we don't see Jesus as the Lord of our life, as our Savior, as someone who died on the cross for our sins and rose again, then we can't even start on the journey of what the Bible might mean to us. So I want to give an invitation right now. If, you, if you're here and you've never put Jesus in that place in your life where he is your Lord, he is somebody you obey, somebody you look up to, somebody you will follow. And that you acknowledge that he died for your sins. Then that's the first step to take on this journey. So I encourage you, if, you, if that's you this morning, I'm going to be up here at the end of the service uh, for five or ten minutes. I would love to pray with you just to invite Jesus into your life, to start you on a journey that actually makes sense of what he has for you what the scriptures say about you and how to move forward as a child of God. Because it's a great journey to start on and uh, it has potential beyond our wildest imagination. But if you're here this morning and you're excited, if not slightly scared about the idea that perhaps, perhaps your life can change, perhaps you can be a more effective Christian, Perhaps the Word of God can release new life into you. You might have got bored with the Word of God. You might have put it on a shelf and not read it for a while because, you know, you've been there once. You read it from cover to cover back in 1979. But we need to refresh ourselves in the Word of God. Let, let Jesus speak to us. Let the Holy Spirit move us in a different way. If you're willing to do that, to start on that journey this morning, I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. 
because it's not an easy thing to do. But Lord, you have better for us than we can even dream or imagine. There is potential in every single person, from the youngest here to the oldest here. There is no age to the gospel. There's only wonder. There's only you, Lord. And right now we commit to breaking the shackles that bind us to easy answers. Breaking the chains that keep us from discussing our faith, our beliefs, our doctrines, our dogma with each other. Lord, give us the freedom to accept new ideas. Give us the wisdom to filter what we hear. But above all, give us the love to be able to talk about you, talk about your word with the people around us in our community, for those who believe and for those who don't. Let it be a connection point which leads all of us close to you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus.